Feeling overwhelmed and frustrated by the obstacles you face? Well, you're not alone. The Resiliency Ninja is here to help. Allison Graham is a speaker, author, and business coach. But most importantly, she's on a mission to give you tools to succeed in times when it feels like life sucks. Now, here's your host, Allison Graham. Welcome back to the Resiliency Ninja podcast. I'm your host, Allison Graham. And of course, my goal with this podcast is to give you tools and inspiration to be more resilient every day so that the challenges you face don't get in the way of your success. Now, I'm happy to share that the Resiliency Ninja community is growing across the globe with business owners and high achieving professionals who are listening. Thank you so much for being a part of this. And, you know, I, I listen to podcasts, which is why I started a podcast and I love them. And one of the favorite things to hear are the rapid five questions at the end of the show. Stay tuned because I have five questions that we're going to launch today. And I think they're a little bit different than the typical ones you may have heard. So stay tuned for that. You are also going to have a chance to win us a book from our guest today. So I'll let you know about that in just a second. I wanted to tell you too a little quick story. I, uh, as I already mentioned, I love podcasts. And what I realized is I'm always listening to them when I'm driving. So I'm on the highway and looking for insights. Now, what's interesting is I know that I, as my, as the host of this Resilience Ninja podcast, am always asking you to share and write a review which is next to impossible when you're driving. And actually it's something you should not be doing when you're driving. And so what I did the other day, and I'm hoping and I'm gonna ask you to do it too, is I interrupted the podcast and I said, hey Siri, remind me to write a review for the podcast that I was listening to. So I'm going to encourage you to do that as well. So thank you very much. Welcome back to the program after talking to Siri. Oh, my Siri is actually still listening to me. <laughs> okay. See how fun this is? It works that easily. I added write a review for the podcast that I was listening to, so I'm going to encourage you to do that as well. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the program after talking to Siri. Oh, my Siri is actually still listening to me. That's how we roll around here at the Resiliency Ninja podcast. And laughing along with me is my guest. And I'm so excited for this guest today. It is the first time we've connected. Uh, his name is Mark Samuel. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Allison. It's great to be here and it's already starting out fun. <laughs> well, you know, I, we can't, we have to take what we do seriously and I believe we need to enjoy doing it. And fun is the way it goes. So I'm going to, I won't say any more Hey series because who knows what she'll come up with <laughs> at the end of this. Right. So now for my listeners, I want to share a little bit of the formal bio for Mark. But Mark, as we go through this interview and, and chit chat, we'll get to know a little bit more about you. But I understand you own the company Impact Corp. And you are a, how would you describe yourself? A transformational consultant? Would that be accurate? Yeah, well, mainly what I would, what I would say, it's an 
I'm an organizational and business transformation consultant. So mm -hmm. we focus both on transforming the business and also transforming an organization's culture. Great. Okay. And you've done this for some big household names like American Express, Universal Studios, Hilton, Johnson & Johnson, Texas Instruments. And I want to talk with, uh, I'm just made a note to be sure we talk about what it's like to work with those big companies uh, as others would, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Now you are already an author. You have Making Yourself Indispensable, The Power of Personal Accountability and the best-selling book, Creating the Accountable Organization. But wait, listeners, good news. Mark has a new book coming out called Be State, a new roadmap for bold leadership, brave culture, and breakthrough results. Wow. Yes. That's a powerful title. Well, I'll tell you, it's my most exciting book so far by, you know, just hands down. Um, I love my other books, but this one I'm absolutely thrilled with because it's all about rapid breakthrough results. And that's the one thing that we need in today's marketplace. I don't care whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you have a career as a leader, whether you're a small organization, a big organization, what we all are facing is faster and faster uh, demands from our customers, new technologies, uh, response to the economy, new marketplaces. Um, it, it's just requiring speed like we've never seen it before, and we have to do it differently. We can't just approach it the way previous leadership books, previous training has taught us to do it. Got to be done differently. So give me an example of a way that something that we would typically teach. So let's go circa 2002 leadership. That would be okay. completely different today, 2018. Oh my gosh, there's so much. So let me, let me give you one thing. And if we have time, I'll give you a second thing. Cause it's it, what you're asking to me is so essential and important. Here's the first thing. No amount of studying your past is going to prepare you for the future that hasn't been created yet. And I just got this asked to me in a, you know, I was talking to a, a group of executives um, about this whole B-state approach to change and talking about what examples of that, like we're talking about these major companies that literally have to create changes within three months, literally three months, culture change, business change, just to keep up with demands to meet cost, you know, increases, um, go from operating in the red to operating in the black. Like these are critical changes that have to be made. Sometimes it takes six months, but anything from three to six months. And, and they, they ask me, well, how, how long does it take you to, how much time are you giving an organization to create that dramatic of a change? I said two days. They said, yeah. what? That's impossible. And I said, oh, they said, they stopped me and they go, well, wait, how much time do you spend assessing the organization first so you know exactly what to do? And I go, generally zero and sometimes up to two days of just meeting with people to understand the context. And, and she was blown away. This executive was blown away. And I said, here's the point. 
if you study the past and improve the past, all you get is a better past, a better current. What I'm talking about is breakthrough results, where you're transforming to a new reality, where the old problems simply don't exist. That's what we're moving to. And instead of assessing the past, I want you to spend that time creating what you think you want your future to be. How do you want your future business to look? How do you want your future execution to look? How do you want your future culture to look? Like, that's where we ought to be spending our time, not assessing what's broken about our past. Wow. <laughs> that is probably transformational just in itself because we are taught that. Heck, I was at a conference last week and the speakers were saying, look to the past, like, figure out what you did, what didn't work. Yeah. And I can see it, it, it's a light bulb moment. I, people, I hope people see this. It's like, let go of the past. What you did in the past isn't going to work today. Yeah. I take, or, literally, I take organizations that are so broken. Let me give you an example of this. I was working with a, I, I, I don't want to say the names of them because I don't want to demean any group. But sure, let's just say it's a multinational um, um, uh, biotech company located, centrally located in Germany, but operating in the U.S., so that's how global they are. And this is the worst performing plant in the system, at least not in the system, in the U.S. And I was bringing together the plant op operational managers, maintenance managers, and quality managers together. And the director of each of those groups, so it's three different groups, each of those directors had a special meeting with their own staff, their own leaders, to prepare for the meeting I was having them in. And, and just to give you context, I only have one day with this group. And what those directors did in the day that they prepared for our meeting was plan how they were gonna attack the other two groups. Oh! And literally, I thought this was tremendous because neither of them knew that each other was doing that, but they all three did it. <laughs> and, and That's really <laughs> actually quite funny to me. <laughs> it is. It's hysterical. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> now, I didn't know this when I walked in. But here's the thing. Here's what most consultants would do in a situation where you have one day with a group to get them to improve you would discuss what are all your issues with the other teams? What are, all, what are all the breakdowns that are occurring today? And guess how long that would take? Oh, about three Forever. days. Yes, <laughs> you wouldn't have it all done. They could, <laughs> right, I'd, I'd had still those be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and guess what? All that would do is fuel the polarization that was existing where they want to attack each other. It's going to fuel that. Now, I did something exactly the opposite. I said, where do you need to be a year from now? What is your biggest challenge? What's your biggest issue? And they had one. They said, we have to replace our current equipment with new equipment. It's a $150 million equipment transfer, replacement. And we're going to have to shut down the plant to do it. And 
We have failed every other time we've had to make that kind of a change. And the biggest change we've made is a $50 million. And we've got, in 12 months, $150 million equipment replacement we all have to plan. I said, great, that's perfect. And all I talked about to start the first hour is what would you need to do to, in order to make that work? How would you need to solve problems? And they said, we'd have to share them. We'd have to do them together. I go, <laughs> oh, okay. Because right now, they don't, all they do is throw problems over the fence to the other group. They never talk about them openly together. I said, well, how would you make decisions if you're going to accomplish this kind of project? Well, we'd have, to, we, we'd have to do shared decision making. And then I played devil's advocate because I know that they're so siloed they don't do that now. I said, I played devil's advocate. Well, why would you have to do that? And they said, well, any decision we make is going to affect the other two departments. So we have to be able to include each other in making those decisions. Oh, great, great, yeah. And I just kept writing the notes down, you know, on the flip chart. And by the time we were done, they had the full set of exactly what they would need to do differently in their execution to make this new reality happen. And I said, great. So on a scale of one to seven, how well do you guys do this today? And they all agreed that on a scale of one to seven, seven high, one low, they operated in all of those areas at about a 1.5. <laughs> oh, wow. I hope you quadrupled your fee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I should have. You Didn't. should have made on results. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and what we did, we spent the whole rest of the day identifying what are those team habits? What are those habits that we collectively need to agree on and how we're going to make decisions, how we're going to share information, how we're going to su surface and solve problems, you know, how we're going to develop future leaders. Like it covered everything. They had about 20 habits. They all agreed exactly on the priorities. They became cross-functional to solve those. And here's the funny part. At the end of the session, two people from two different departments came up to me and said, but, but you never got to our issues. <laughs> I go, you're right. I said, but take a look around at the habits and then take a look at your issues and compare the two and tell me what you notice. And the, here's, the, here's the thing, and this is really the bottom line for all the listeners. Here's what they said. Given this new environment, these problems simply disappear. We don't have to solve them. They simply won't exist under these new habits and conditions that we've agreed upon. I go, that's right. <laughs> Six months later, they were the top performing plant in the U.S. They had cut their costs. They had improved their quality uh, service uh, to what they needed to produce. That happened in six months. Well, it really happened in one day. Ah, and that is exactly, thank you for saying that. That is one of my favorite things. When people ask me, how long does it take to change a culture? I say it takes one day. Brilliant. So I love this. I love the format, even having them rate themselves on a scale of one yeah. to seven. And, you know, were they fighting for the, you know, 0.75 to 1.75? Like, like <laughs> no, no, no. I, I do it very bottom. simply. I just do it as an average. Okay. So I just took it and half the people said one, half the people said two, and I gave it a 1.5. Perfect. <laughs>
<laughs> why debate something that's meaningless except that it gives you a kind of a starting baseline? We don't, that doesn't need to be perfect. See, that's the problem. We spend things, we spend time rather trying to perfect things that don't matter rather than putting that time into things that do matter. I agree. Well, that's a lot of the work I do with the resiliency is really understanding yes. what your challenges are, right? Is it a stress? Is it an obstacle? Is it an adversity? And, and you know, allotting okay. your coping mechanisms accordingly, right? And yes, like spend so much time over in the stress. We, were, yes. we think oh. you know, that is a badge of honor. Okay, now I've got one for you then. Because okay. the, you mentioned resiliency, I got one for you. Because you know that my previous work is all in accountability. And yes. you know what? The one thing that no accountability experts even talk about or address is actually the key to accountability. Are you ready for it? I am. Don't ever focus on perfecting your plan. Put your focus on proactive recovery for when your plan goes awry. Oh, I like it. Plan how you're going to respond cross-functionally if you're in a larger organization, if you're in a family with all your family members, you've got you've to include everybody in your proactive recovery plan. So you're anticipating what might go wrong, human error, unanticipated things that you don't even know could show up, and you don't have to have the solution. You just have to know how are we going to mobilize ourselves to come up with a solution? And just by doing that, we'll change the game and it produces the highest level of accountability. And here's why. And here's why resilience is so critical. If you don't have that plan, then the natural thing that happens when there's a breakdown is people want to find out who to blame. And then we get in blame defense posture and guess what you're not focused on at all solving the problem exactly and when you have a proactive recovery plan there is no problem to solve all you're doing is taking the next natural step you know to that point one of the things i talk with uh my clients about as well is the the need like how you respond in a, a moment of crisis or when something goes wrong will be the defining factor and how much people yeah. trust you how how well you're going to be able to move forward without the the piece that you're mentioning so i love that yes. having them talk about it right up front so that people don't disappear because that's what i noticed maybe you noticed it too if somebody's not comfortable <laughs> and doesn't know how to react <laughs> situation they they put their head in the sand and, and pretend like it doesn't happen yeah we call it in in our um, victim model we have a model that's our victim loop and our accountable loop and the victim loop the ultimate state is what we call hiding <laughs> <laughs> there is no loop we can't see the loop we just hide no, we just hide <laughs> and by the way people are pretty genius about hiding Oh, There's they a, are. We here. I'll give you two ways to hide. Because if you're going to be a victim, I want you to be a really good one. <laughs> own <laughs> so it. Just go down. Own it. Just own it. Yeah. <laughs> one way to hide is overwhelm yourself with meaningless activity, and then you're too busy to deal with any change or problem. You're just too busy, and that's how I see organizations and people get today. 
Well, we just, we've got yeah, then you can wear busy. that as your badge of honor, right? Like right. busy, busy, right. busy, 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 no I'm time busy, for you. Busy. Yeah, exactly. And then the next way we hide, and this is when there's change needed in your organization or in your role or in your job. And this works, by the way, at home as well as at work. The best way to hide, stay confused. <laughs> I just don't get it. I agree with the change, but I don't know what to do differently. So I'm going to keep doing things my old way, but I don't want you to see me as negative because I'm here to support you 100% while I'm doing things my old way. Yeah, you go do the change. Yeah. And, and I'll watch well, you change. Yeah. Good job. Yes. Yeah. Okay, now, okay, I have to admit, though, I have to admit, I mean, I'm, I'm a flawed human being like, like everybody else. I used to use that when it came to laundry. Oh, <laughs> well, see, I think <laughs> the best thing with laundry is actually to ruin a load. That's right. Exactly. Right? And then I, that way, if you're no good at it, nobody in the family wants you to do the laundry and you will be asked not to touch the laundry because you don't that. check the pockets or you put bleach in the blacks or whatever. Exactly. Uh, and for me, it was just, I'm just all confused about what's white and what's dark. Like where does khaki fit? <laughs> I, you know, in fairness, I do the laundry in my home. I don't know where khaki fits either. So I don't think that's <laughs> So if we were to look like one of the things with the resilience topic is I'll talk about it with my corporate clients at the individual level, the department yes. level, and then the organizational level. Yes. And yes. where do you think is the most powerful issue? Like, is it the top, like the corporate, the overall company is willing to change? Like if we think about this rapid results, or is it the individual who is stalling it? Like it, it's, it's a, an interesting debate, isn't it? Because it could really be any place on that spectrum. Sure, it is any place on that sector, but uh, uh, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to surprise you with my comment. It at the most critical places in the middle. Fair enough. Yeah, it's those middle managers who are all isolated into their own silos. They may have even recovery plans, but it only, under, it only takes in consideration their department and has no consideration for the other departments that either they impact or that depend on them. And that is circling back to your opening example. Yes. Those different, they, they were actually literally, like I love this because I can just see it happening going, those jerks, we're yeah. going to get them. Here's the reason why we hate those, the, the competitors. And yet you're all going towards the same top line outcome. Yes. Oh, and I should add that the directors did not want me to come into their organization. They had already planned a team building effort that was going to solve all their problems. They were going to cook a meal together. <laughs> Well, cooking is very wise because we need to be healthy at the individual level. <laughs> right. We're going to yeah. learn teamwork through cooking. And that's the problem today in organizations. We don't ever address the real issues. What we end up doing is coming up with ropes courses, cooking classes, anything to build awareness, but without ever talking about what does awareness of teamwork, but without ever addressing what does our actual teamwork need to look like. And I, found, I discovered this literally probably about 10 to 15 years ago 
when I was thinking, I was so bothered because I said something's still missing. And I, I finally looked at, uh, I used to play uh, sports and, and music. And I got to fairly high levels in both. And I started thinking, no baseball team, no music group, did we ever go to a class on learning communication skills, active listening, let's learn about each other's styles, let's learn body language, none of that. <laughs> but yeah, did you ever win? Oh, all the time, because we practiced the communication on the field based on making plays. We practiced communication in the rehearsal hall on how we were going to transition from one part of the music to a different that has a different tempo. Oh, communication is absolutely critical, but it's not a soft issue. It's a critical business issue, but it's not treated like a business issue because we make it theoretical skill building rather than really looking at what do you need from me and what do I need from you? Now let's work that out as our habit, the way you would see baseball players turn a double play, the way you see musicians hand off from one soloist to another. That is not just, you know, random. They rehearse that over and over to make it as tight as possible. What are we doing? Nothing in those areas, nothing. We send people to training programs. We do process improvement. You can have a great process and not execute it well. Right. Or you have a flawed process and you spend all your time on doing more of it. Right. Which is exactly. like, why would you scale something? In my last podcast, I said, why would you scale something that isn't converting at the level you want it to convert? It's the exact That's same right. principle that you're talking That's about. Right. Absolutely right. And we now place our focus on metrics, which is to me, sometimes you need metrics. That's not, I'm not against metrics, but metrics never improves execution. If it did, I'd be a star baseball player with a 350 batting average because all you'd have to do is tell me, be a 350 batting average. Okay, Glenn, I'm now going to go do that. Right. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. The real work is in the execution. It's in fine-tuning your habits. It's in fine-tuning how you make the play. And it's not just individual skill. It's in your coordination with someone else. Mm. I'll take people with, that lack the skill but have really excellent execution any day over the group of stars that you see in the basketball team or the baseball team that actually can't work well together and I'll bet on the group that doesn't have the skill over the one that has the skill but doesn't execute. That's fair. Yeah. I would take that bet. Absolutely. And guess what? What we're doing in organizations, we have meetings that are about sharing information. We have meetings that go over metrics. When are we having meetings to actually discuss the execution breakdowns and figuring out how do we refine our habits? How do we change our habits so that we start producing better? And let's re realize there is no leading indicator of measurement that isn't preceded by execution. Mm. I always tell people when you're measuring, you're looking at your metrics, you're already too late. Right, it's not, uh, it's, not a, it's a lag, not a... Yeah, it's a lag. No matter if it's a leading indicator, it's still a lag compared to execution. <laughs> Are, okay, now, there's, you've said so much, so I've got to unpack know, a couple sorry, things here. Sorry. No, hey, no apology. You're not Canadian, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, believe it or not, I am. 
Oh my goodness, I was saying it as a joke and you are and you said no. sorry. I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm dual. Outside of LA, right? In a small I, area. But I live outside of LA and I'm a dual citizen. I was I've never lived in Canada. Was your wife? How did you manage? No. My parents were were Canadian. And oh. so when I was born they were Canadian. I've only be, be I've only become Canadian in the last year. Oh, I didn't think the Americans were allowed to have both now. I thought you had to pick and choose. I know. That's why I never did it sooner than that. And at one point in time, that was true, but it's no longer true. Well, it's <laughs> I have funny. A US you know, we, yeah, that's pretty neat, eh? To welcome to our country. Um, and not <laughs> physically, obviously, but metaphorically as a Canadian yes. half citizen. So <laughs> on the story, the sorry story yes. side. I was in New York City for the very first time when this was like a few years ago when I went to New York. And I'm walking downtown and I've got this great big, you know, purse and, you know, my briefcase and power walking with everybody. And I hit somebody like this old fellow with my purse. Like it was too big a purse to be walking around the downtown. And I said, Oh, I'm so sorry. Excuse me. And he says, What are you, Canadian? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I'll just be rude then. <laughs> that is so funny. That is so New York. It is. That and describes New York in a nutshell. <laughs> and I love that city. Yes. Even though I, I still sleep. The city might not sleep, but I sleep when I'm there. <laughs> I do love right. New York. All right, we digress. Now, in... Uh, in your work, you've worked with all these great big companies. And I want to ask you if you could sort of unpack how you manage to become that known expert who is serving these multinationals. I know you've been in business for 30 years and longevity yeah. obviously plays a role there and, and yeah. you build that reputation. Thinking back to the early days, yes. how did you do it? You know, it's what's what's really interesting is, um, and I, and I tell people this pretty pretty openly. For, first of all, you know, people have claimed for me that I'm an expert in accountability, and the, and the truth is, I'm a student of accountability. I've been a student of accountability for thirty years, and I think that's um I I think people have the have created this uh, wrong impression about expertise. It, it's you, it never ends. And I always want to be the student, not the expert. And so what it forces is that it causes me to continue to learn, ask questions, to be curious. And so whatever I learned at those, you know, whatever I learned that works, I'm always challenging it to see if it can't work better and refine it and change it and 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 literally confront even my own beliefs that i have really set in stone beliefs that here's the way things work and then i have to challenge that and say well, what happens if it didn't work that way and how do i stay open to other possibilities so being a practitioner not a theorist being someone who cares so much about the 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 service i'm providing i'm a terrible businessman i'm a terrible salesperson marketing person i don't do any of that stuff i haven't i haven't done any marketing and sales in the last 10 years since 2008 i stopped doing any marketing campaigns any sales we did our website um i respond to calls 
all my businesses either repeat business or people that have heard of me. And um, that's and powerful. That's going to change because I am going to promote B State and I am going to get that out and I'll invest because people aren't aware of it. But my whole focus is on providing really good results, results people will remember forever. And I have sometimes organizations won't have done work with me for 10 years and then they come back. Because they like, remember the impact yes. that you had 10 years ago. Yes. Absolutely. Working, working with those big companies, and I, I have yes. been blessed to sell into some a lot of corporate culture as well a, yes. for their keynotes. I'm mainly doing keynote work now as opposed to training programs and in-depth online, here's your approach for X that I used to yes. sell. And when I sold into corporate, I can think of two big contracts that I had that nearly put me out of business. Yeah. Psychologically and financially, not because they weren't huge contracts, they were, but right. because of selling into that huge corporate state, state with uh, multiple stakeholders, multiple decision makers, and changing like the number of people. One contract, I work with five different people <laughs> on the head of a contract. Before right. I even got there, and I'm not teaching change management or good communication. I'm teaching at that point just business development, right? How do you right. do sales through profitable relationships? And I couldn't create a relationship with anybody because they would move too fast. And I don't think it was my fault. I don't think they said, oh, shit, we're going to get Allison's program. I'm going to flee this department. But have you ever run into that? Like, actually, it's just really frustrating to sell into the big companies for long-term engagements. Yeah. Uh, you know, quite honestly, when we go into large companies, I'm usually focused on a particular division or a particular uh, plant or a particular group, functional area. Um, so in a sense, I try, you know, I sort of have to depend on them to, to do whatever is necessary to get us in and do the work, the, the politics and the purchasing and all that. In some cases, it just, you know, corporations can be just so dysfunctional. Um, and, and that's happened a couple of times. And then we just simply don't, won't do the work because it, it gets too much in the way of breakthrough results or accountability even. Like there's no accountability. It's like the, right. you know, no one's being accountable for anything. So they run you around until you get exhausted and leave. So I should have known you at that time. Had I have known you, I could have said, so before we go any further, how be we yeah. bring him in to get you guys all aligned? And now also, by the way, just to wrap up that story, I do now see that my my talent is in the keynote as opposed yes. to the ongoing relationship of, you know, the six month projects. It's just not where I fit. And that's how no. I managed to overcome and adapt in that situation. In terms of resilience and being a resiliency ninja, you have been in business for 30 years. Yeah. You mentioned something about 2008, I think in yeah. our industry of being a speaker, uh, thought leader, working with corporations, that was a really tough time. Did you feel that at that time? No, I mean, not at all. No, you just uh, sat there and collected my business, I've been I've been around long enough that I've lived through 
recessions where my business went down 25%. In 2009, within a six-month period, my business went down 75%. And let's understand, I was working internationally. I thought that was going to save me. Didn't do a thing for me. One of my biggest clients at the time was Michelin. And if you looked at their sales of tires in October of 2007 and 2008, 2008, October was 10% of the sales in October 2007. 10%. They went down 90% in sales in a month. So what my goes through your mind? How did you survive that? Um, well, it brought me to my knees. So let's, let's really be clear about that. That I, you know, it was close to not surviving it. I, I was freaked out to the max. I had to let people go. I had to find ways to get out of my office. And you know, I had so many operating costs at that time. I literally was carrying overhead of about 130,000 a month in operating expense planning for growth for a 20 to 25% growth, which I had been experiencing the last few years, only to, to drop 75%. I couldn't pay my bills, didn't have enough money. I went down to, I literally went through all of my IRA, all of my retirement funds, went through all of my savings, maxed out all of my cards, and was still not sure I could pay expenses a week from now, two weeks from now. What was oh, the yeah. turning point for you to get out of that? Because now here you are, it's been another decade. Yeah. So what the turning point was when I was home a lot because I had no clients to go to. Everyone canceled their travel you know, budgets and all that. So I have no clients. I'm worried about going bankrupt. I've already been in conversations with bankruptcy, bankruptcy lawyers. And um, I'm at home. And I perceive my value being the money I bring home for my family and the work I do for my clients. That was my value base. So now those two things are gone. And then I realized my life insurance was worth more than what I could bring to the table. That was a scary point for me. <laughs> I, I really recommend to all listeners, don't go there. <laughs> Luckily, I, 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 I knew what I needed to do from all the work and accountability. And I said, I need to get out of the house and I need to be purpose driven. And so I looked at all, I, I really did a, a very quick assessment of what are my natural gifts, the things I was born with that you can't take away from me. Like you can take away my money, you can take away my family, you can take away my house, you can take away my job, but you cannot take away my God-given gifts. And because I never asked for those gifts, it's an obligation for me to share them. So I chose to share my gifts with three different, in three different situations to help a nonprofit who was struggling, to help a manager who had just gotten promoted before this time and was a new plant manager and I knew him from before. So I said, I will coach you for free. I work with a nonprofit for free. And there is one of my other gifts that's a really strange one is I know how to teach math really well as long as it's not high-level math. <laughs> like I don't do calculus, but I do algebra and trig and geometry and all those others. And there was a little boy whose family said that this kid's failing. They want to take him out of school and put him into a school for less intelligent kids. 
And I said, well, you know, he's getting, he's failing math and he's failing his other subjects as well. I said, well, before you decide to do that, let me have him for a little bit and let's see what the truth is. So I did all that for free, but it kept me out of the house and it kept me focused and purposed and focused on my purpose. And here's the bottom line why I'm telling you this long story because it's, it's so critical and it's critical for anyone listening. About three weeks after this, what I noticed was I had a higher sense of confidence and self-worth than I had ever had with my books, with my financial success, with the acclaim that was given to me by, you know, by, part, you know, by being interviewed on CNBC and Bloomberg and all those stations. Like I, all that notoriety meant nothing compared to how I felt three weeks after living my purpose, knowing that my gifts are being used to serve people and it changed my whole, this is what I said before, it changed my whole focus of accountability and said, no, we've got to change the game of accountability. You're not just accountable for tasks. You're accountable for living your purpose. And we've got to play a bigger game. And it literally added a new model. And it, it literally changed how I spoke about accountability. And from that point forward, I've never done any marketing and sales in, you know, until now. Incredible. Because Thanks I decided I was, I was going to be on the, I, I called it being on the God plan. <laughs> yeah. God, you want me to be, stay in this business and be of service? Then you're going to have to help. And I'll tell you what happened. Every, like literally I was living week to week, not knowing if I could pay the bills, but for two years of this, but I never went out of business. There was always something magical that would show up. I just had to stay purpose driven. I had to be of service and somehow there'd be a miracle that would show up every time to just save my butt in term financially. And that kid in math got an A in math by the end of the year, had straight A's the year after. That's awesome. And ended up transferring to a school in Los Angeles for the highest gifted kids. Oh, I have chills. That's fantastic. I, I do too. I still do. And, and by the way, I only worked with him for about, I don't know, five, six months. He did that all on his own. I just needed to, to get the truth out. I needed to find his B state. Like I didn't even know it then, but that's what it was. It's like I had a vision of him being successful. I didn't care about metrics that all had proof that he was an F student. I didn't care about anyone's opinion. I just never treated him that way. I said, I don't know whether you can do math or you can't do math, but I'm certainly not going to assume that you can't because everybody else says you can't, even you. <laughs> I says, I don't really care what you think <laughs> as the as student. How often do you think that we are making assumptions and taking action according to those assumptions, whether they're right or not? Oh, all the time. Not, uh, not just assumptions, because that's, that's how we talked about it in the past. Here's the thing I get worried about. We make up stories to right. our detriment. I call it the internal messenger of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> I've got a whole chapter on it. Of bullshit. I love that. That is exactly what it is. And then we convince everybody that we're right about it. We're right. <laughs> absolutely no factual information. And yet. I, I just had this with someone just literally earlier this week. 
you know, a person calls me at a frantic, and this person's at a VP level, frantic about hearing from some other, you know, like an employee that um, her role has changed. And she's treating this as a demotion almost. Like, how could, not, how could someone not tell me? How come I wasn't included in conversations? Da, 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 da. I said, uh, can we back up a little bit? In reality, you just got promoted. Right. <laughs> Nothing taken away. You actually are now, instead of being responsible for one division on the East Coast, you're responsible now for the whole corporation in this one area and i said they don't the reason you found out from this financial accounting person is because they probably had to budget it with a new number and that person happened to know about it and you weren't told yet and they were congratulating you do you think they congratulate you if it was a demotion they'd ignore you not wanting to feel embarrassed yeah you suck congratulations <laughs> But this person was literally crying, upset, like, how could they do that? I'm so hurt. How could they disrespect me this way? I said, wow, you're, you're in a really interesting story. Has nothing to do with reality, but it's a great drama. <laughs> Turn it into a screenplay. Just don't keep it in the workplace. <laughs> exactly. All right. But we, but we create stories to our demise, and then we want to be right about it. Like, there's a great quote. It's foolish to lose in your own fantasy. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> right, because if you're going to make it up. Lose. Yeah, if you're going to make it up. Yes. Bring the knight in shining armor, you know, in my case. Or bring something good, oh. like the, the money, the, the joy, whatever it is. Right. <laughs> Might as well. You're making it up anyway. It's going to make absolutely no difference. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, okay. We have, I think you and I could chat for a long time, but I have prom promised our listeners the five rapid fire questions that I don't actually think are going to be rapid fire. So just answer okay, them. Good. There's no time yeah. limit on these. A book that changed your life other than your own. Um, loyalty to your soul. Ooh. by um, doctors Ron and Mary Holnick. Okay. Brilliant. It really, um, yeah, it's a life changer. And I, I find to me the game now is the inner exploration. How do I, how do I deal with those unresolved issues that are the blind spots, that are the filters that keep me stuck in negativity that I don't need to have? And they have techniques in there to get past that kind of stuff. Awesome. Deep. Deep book, yeah. Another one, by the way, just as another good one, Power Versus Force. Another great, great book that talks about, really tracks people's consciousness over time and societies. And it's great explanation for things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to explain. Like how is even things like the, the Watts riots of the 60s, how that was actually an advancement for that particular society of people. Because when you get angry, that's a higher level than depression. Mm. It's a higher level. You, you need to get through those levels. And until you get mad enough to really stand up for yourself, when you get depressed or in shame, you're now 
you have no energy. You can't get, accomplish anything. So sometimes we have to get angry to get moving. So it, 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 it has you look at things a little differently, and it's a great perspective changer. Great. Okay, good answers. Thank you. Yeah. A time in your career that you haven't told us about already. Yeah. When you pushed through fear and did it anyway. So let me, yeah, that's going to be an easy one for me because I spent three years in therapy trying to get over my fear of writing. I've got all these books, but, but I never wanted to write books. I hate writing. I've always been resentful of people who were writing, which was usually everybody around me. <laughs> my, literally everything from my wife to my daughter to my cousins to my friends, they're all writers. And I'm saying, screw you all. I hate you all. <laughs> Just to give you an idea, when I first went into business, I was in a partnership, right? They would not allow me to write a memo or letter to any client without them redlining it first. Ouch. Yeah, ouch. For years, I had this going on. I literally learned to write from my partners, not from school. And I, it's just a thing. I just never, I, it was never, if, Writing to me would be like bungee jumping and I have a fear of heights. So, you know, it's like, I never wanted to do that. Never aspired to do that. It was like, give me a break, shoot me already. I, I when I knew, knew I needed to write, I had such an angry conversation with God about it. <laughs> you <laughs> asshole. <laughs> you, you, you don't have, you don't give someone all these concepts that the world needs to see when you didn't give them the skill to write. That is not cool or kosher. <laughs> so how did you, I, I mean, we, we've got to go to the next question, but did, what did you do? Just start writing or did you hire a ghostwriter or did you no. dictate it and yeah. have it? Yes. First, so the first thing I did, and I literally did go through three years of therapy and it just didn't work. It didn't hold. I took a, when I got my master's degree in spiritual psychology, which is a whole interesting topic. Um, their project was pick something that you always wanted, you know, you, a, a concern or fear that you always wanted to overcome and haven't done yet. So I picked writing and I tried to get everybody to write my book for me. And then finally, I just, I, it just wasn't working. So I just, i literally, I remember cause I went to Canada with one of my cousins who was a professional writer to help me write the book. And it just wasn't coming out. I just, I said, I booked a whole week with her. And I just said, on the first day, this isn't working. I said, let me, I'm just going to sit at the dining room table. I put the blank paper in front of me. I folded my arms and said, God, if you want me to write, you got to help me here because this is not working. I did all the right things, like do your outline first, set up your thing. None of that worked for me. And then that's how I discovered that my way of writing was to listen and just and get, have, have the book dictated to me. And just flow through you, flow state. Yeah, flow through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great. So networking, best networking story. Uh, networking. Like connecting with people. That led somewhere. <laughs> if, or if maybe you, you don't. If you, you knew network? anybody that knew me, I'm an introvert. <laughs> I am the worst at connecting. <laughs> Literally, I, I am the person in a social group 
goes either one of two directions, either find the wall closest to me and hug it, or eat myself into my next size of clothes. Um, <laughs> those are my two favorite methods. Um, so, um, I'm going to ask you the best and the okay. worst. Okay. What does that mean? Well, like, you know, the worst that was a working story for me is like a guy who like I saw in the lineup and I was, it, it's a long story anyway. And he's like, hi, I'm Brian and I sell insurance. And he was like totally cheesy, like Ron Burgundy circa <laughs> 79 in like 2016. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I met him again. And I'm like, I, all I had to do was say hi. And I didn't say it like that, by the way. <laughs> it, was, it was just like, we are in a lineup. And I said, hi, like a normal person would to a person beside you. And he's like, hi, I'm Brian and I sell insurance. And I'm like, oh God. So there's an a story of a worst example. I, okay, I've got a, a very, wor I, I've got a bad example. It was actually not so much, it was kind of networking, but um, it was around a kind of a political kind of event at the same time. Okay. And uh, Linda Wagner was there, who, um, if, if I'm getting the name right, because sometimes I mix up names, but she was the bionic woman back in the day. Oh, and, okay, yes. Uh, or Lindsay, Lindsay no. Wagner. That, it's that's, it's it? Lindsay Wagner. Yeah. I'm going to Google it. Will you tell the rest of the story? Yes. So she was there, and, um, and I knew she was there, and I went up to talk to her, and at that moment, I did not know who she was. So <laughs> it's literally like, it was just the oddest thing. Because we're introducing ourselves. And I say, so what do you do? And she goes, well, I, I'm in film or, you know, an actress. I go, oh, that's cool. Would I have seen you in anything? I used to watch that show every week as a kid. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. And then it... It's just like, then like um, uh, it was a dinner and she's sitting at a whole nother table and, and, but, but further apart, she now looks smaller. Like I would see on the screen and go, Oh my God, that was her. <laughs> it was like, I felt so dumb because <laughs> everybody knows her. It's not like she's not a known actress. So it was just a really weird, but I do stuff like that. I meet, I, okay, I'll give you another one. This, I, had, I do a particular program that's a three-day intensive. And there was one woman who was there, extremely pretty, very good looking, etc. Now, about a year later, she is sitting next to me on a plane, and I have no idea who she is. <laughs> he goes, you don't remember me, do you? And I go, no. And, and that, by the way, she wasn't just in that three days. She, I had done several programs for her organization. She was in almost all of them. And, and, and I thought, what does that say about me that even a, a woman who's pretty, I don't even remember. It's like, <laughs> this is like ridiculous. You're a retard. You know, it's like I was really angry with myself at that time. Well, in <laughs> fairness, it is hard to remember names, especially outside of context. And if you are introverted, then you probably are when you're up on stage just in flow state and not really truly looking in the eyes of every person in the room. True. 
That's very true. It was just odd that I not only didn't remember her name, I actually didn't remember her at all. Like, I don't remember seeing her, whatever, <laughs> until she said who she was. And then it was like, oh, man, I'm really embarrassed. Oh, that, <laughs> so. that, that's funny. Okay, Lindsay Wagner, you were correct, by the way. Yes. And if anything, I wonder, I, I don't know if I would have recognized her either. I mean, from yeah. she's 70 now, almost 69, I think. Uh, looking yes. at, look at Google. Way to go, Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she, I'm sure she wasn't offended and probably found it quite refreshing. All right, last question. Yes. Because you're new to marketing now, now that I know that yes. about you, because you're out there yes. and you're doing the B state. If you could change one thing people do on social media, what would that be? Oh, interesting. One thing on social media. What's your pet peeve? On social media. Uh, well, my pet peeve is that I, I'm still confused by it. So that's my first pet peeve. It's like, <laughs> like, you don't I, understand it. I understand how that could be a pet peeve. I, I mean, honestly, I just... Up till now, I've just known about LinkedIn and Facebook, and I've just learned about Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. So, uh, and I'm just starting to, to, you know, again, I'm an old guy, so it's a little, little, not my, not my forte. I, I would say the, I would say that my biggest pet peeve right now is the, um, uh, is all the negativity. The negativity and the 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 um, how would I call it the um, fa um, people giving opinions as if they're facts, and people giving their view of the world or world events through the filter of their eyes that are so biased and not really considering um, how others. Other points of view. Let's just say it that way. That's it's great. like, yeah. it's just that to me is very frustrating. I, I think it's it, quite honestly, I actually think that that aspect of where we don't have a place to go for real news in a sense, because even though even the stations are doing that um, is dumbing down the U.S. I think we're dumbing ourselves down. Well, on the good news front, you're half Canadian. <laughs> So come over here where we are yeah, smart. No, I'm teasing. I love my American friends. I am a huge fan of America. And I think that we are out of time. We actually went over time, but it was such a great conversation. I hope our listeners loved it. Tell them where they can find you. Where's the best place to get a hold of this brand new book called B-State? Yes, the best place. And it's so easy. It's called bstate.com. Just so easy. B-State dot com and um you you know not only is can you get information about the book but just in a couple of weeks you're going to get all information about um some of the other services we provide i'm going to be putting out a whole lot of free information about b state like it's going to include a lot of the hot topics that are in the book um and just take it to another level but it will it will really help if you have the basis of the book behind you but I plan on really serving the community. I want to create a worldwide B-State community, people that are dedicated to getting breakthrough results in their families 
and in their businesses. And the most amazing thing is if you want this book, you may be one of our lucky winners. All you need to do is tweet out this episode and include both of us on the tweet. And we are going to draw three lucky winners for a book that will be sent to your home. So that is bstate.com, B as in bold, brave, and breakthrough. I will be sure that that is in the show notes. And thank you so much for listening, Resiliency Ninjas out there. Uh, please do not let those obstacles stand in your way. You can rise above even stronger. And repeat after me. Hey Siri, remind me to review Allison Graham's podcast, The Resiliency Ninja, and share it. Siri's <laughs> <laughs> back on it. Thanks, folks. And I will. You will hear me, and I will get to see you online in the next episode of Resiliency Ninja. Until next time, Thank you for tuning in to Resiliency Ninja with Allison Graham. We are thrilled to have you as part of our community. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always connect with Allison at r-ninja.com and find important links to show notes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, embrace whatever obstacles come your way. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.